to Acts chapter 4. And we were looking at several verses in Acts chapter 4. And I just want to hit two major points that we hit. And by the way, um, it's great to have everyone here. Thanks uh, to our visitors for coming and finding us. Um, Be praying for Johnny and Kennedy. They are just waiting their little boy, Samson, to be born. And I don't know if you've ever been in that place, awaiting a child to be delivered. That can be... That could be an interesting way. And so just be praying for them. And um, that whole process that is needed so much grace for. Um, when we ask the question, how do we recognize the move of God? When I was, if I was to ask you today, um, what does a work, a move of God look like to you and I? What does that look like? How do we see this exempl- exemplified in the Bible? And I think that we live today in a, world that is just so um it is so under the under the influence of the way things should be or uh you look at maybe christianity in america today and you see okay that's the way it's supposed to look like or you look in the old testament or the new testament and you look at god moving and i think that it's really important it can be easy to miss because we live by sight don't we we live by sight what we see what we feel Uh, how we're impacted emotionally, uh, how we are feeling physically that day, or how we are. But we live under such a... It is so easy for us as creatures to live under the power of what we see or what we feel. We are also creatures that can feel vibrations and invisible things that come at us because we live... We are not just physical, and we're not just only soulish, but we are also spiritual. And so we are in a spiritual... We are in a spiritual environment... Yet we do not remember that. And it's so easy for us to uh, become dominated by the five, is it four dimensions or five dimensions? (laughs) Whatever. We have five senses and we have multiple dimensions. And it's for us, it's easy for us to live in what is in the sphere of our perception, isn't it? And so that's how we can so easily define a work of God. But when we look in Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes in on the scene, it's so beautiful in the Greek because... When we read that, it's like a rushing wind came into the room. Imagine that. And I think the thing that we think of when we hear rushing wind is like somebody turned on a massive fan in the back of the room and everybody's hair is blowing, you know? Or it's something like a gust of wind. Have you ever been in a hurricane where you were literally knocked on your, on your behind? Okay. Or you're in a situation where you were just, I don't know if you've ever been in the presence of a blast, but you can feel that percussion, that, that, um, you can feel that impulse, it, it knocks you back. But the, the idea in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes into the room, it is more of a sense of an incredible, passionate rush into something that has been not possible until that moment. It's the Holy Spirit moving, rushing into the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is now the disciples, the apostles, the church of Christ. Can you imagine the anticipation of God throughout the entire Old Testament, through all of the, the, um, the, 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 the symbology and all of the symbolism and all of the pictures of the Old Testament of the tabernacle and all the sacrifices and everything is pointing to Acts chapter 2 when Christ is now the, is able to send his Holy Spirit into people. And that's amazing. This rushing that comes in. It's like, it's like if you've ever been to the airport. And you're coming out, and I, I see this every time I arrive to Bush or I arrive to an airport overseas. And you come out to the arrival section, and there's always a man 
a young man or a young woman that's there waiting for the love of their life to come through those doors. And they just come right through the doors. And then they run right at that person and they just jump into their arms. And it's like they're kissing, they're hugging. There's just like, you know, they're coming through those doors. And they, before they couldn't come through those doors because of passport control and baggage claim and all the great things that we have at airports. And they're running right at that person. They just jump right into the arms of that person. And they can't hug enough. That is a very weak example of how the Holy Spirit comes in in Acts chapter 2 into the church. And he's rushing in into an intimate, passionate way to inhabit flesh and blood that has now been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ in, in, in Romans chapter 8, verse, verse 3. You and I don't think that. We don't believe that. We think that God's not so happy to see us, or that God is so judgmental and waiting for us to um, qualify ourselves. And yet, how do we recognize a move of God? In Acts chapter 4, we see the first church started, and there's two things. When we look at the Acts chapter 4, we see a number of things happening Number one, we see the apostles are in jail. This is a move of God. Remember, we're talking about a move of God. They're, they're in jail. The first church is being persecuted. Hard times, politically, economically, socially, uh, family-wise, uh, the education system, every way is persecuting this brand new church. Because this is a group of people, this is a community of people that have, it has never existed ever in the universe before. This is this incredible community of people. And the Pharisees began to see it in Luke 15. We talked a couple weeks about, ago about lost things. That here's the publicans and the sinners that are hanging out with Jesus. Jesus. Jesus attracted two groups of people. and he made, But he only made one of those group of people mad. He attracted publicans and sinners. But he also attracted religious Pharisees, religious hypocrites. We as a church, when we th- talk about ministry and gathering people, my question that I ask myself in my prayer is, is what kind of people are we attracting? Are we attracting religious Pharisees or are we, are we seeing God send in sinners, publicans? And you know what? Jesus always was making the Pharisees mad. But anyway, the move of God is so different than the way we would think it is. Acts 4 verse 31, the apostles are in jail. They come out. There's these, the, the, the believers are in these homes. They're under a lot of pressure now from the government, from the religious system. They are under this, under this pressure. And then they come out, the, the, the apostles come out, they come to the house church, they meet these people, and then we see this incredible prayer. Lord, a sovereign Lord, it reads, and it goes into about God, um, the, Lord of the, the Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in it. Now, does this sound like a prayer of people that are being persecuted and are having a hard time in their life? I mean, if I was in that situation, I'd be praying like, God, okay, bust the apostles in jail. But Lord, I just need my, I need money to pay my electric bill. You know, that'd be the way I'd be praying in that situation. Or God, just these people are giving me so much trouble. I mean, my prayer would be so small, wouldn't it? Compared to, and here the first church, they're talking about a huge, massive, mighty God. Like we were just doing as we were singing in worship. You know, I sometimes I feel like I just want to get on my knees and just worship I'd be quiet in the presence of God. And, and that's fine. If you want to do that, then that, that, I love that. I, I just love the, the spirit and the atmosphere of worship that we have here. It's so releasing, isn't it? We can just cast our burdens upon the Lord. And we can worship a great God, a mighty God. And, 
And that is the way that these first these believers of the first church are praying. They're talking about a sovereign Lord, a God who's in control. Okay, we look at the world today: Syria, Turkey, it's falling apart. Um, Mongolia, it's it, you, you, or or you look at China and it's falling apart. And you're looking at this whole world. You're like. Where is God? God is in control. And his sovereignty goes beyond our imagination and what we can imagine. And yet, they're praying to a big God. And so when, we, when they pray, what is the answer to the prayer? And they're praying, God, you know, deliver us from the threatenings and the, and the persecution of, of these people. Uh, give us boldness to preach. Do this, Lord. Do that. And what is the answer? Well, we would say in verse 31, we would say, well, um, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then continue to speak of the word of God with boldness. We would say that's the result. But there's something that happens before that. And can you see it in the text? We pointed it out last week. It is shaking. It says that the whole place was shaken. Now, what does that look like? What does a place look like? I mean, does it mean there was an earthquake? That there was, you know, the walls were just, you know, that things were moving? I think it means this. Is that when you're in a situation where, where your life is so shaken to the core and you are even in, on a mental level, on a psychological level, on an emotional level, the very foundations of an emotional level, the very foundations of what you and I think is reality is shaken. And we're like, I don't even know what is real anymore. I thought I had a great family. I, had a, I thought I had a great marriage. I thought I had a great business. Everything is shaken. When you and I pray for God to move in our life, the shaking comes. The shaking is the signature of a move of God in your life when everything begins to shake. And after that shaking, what do we see? We see the Holy Spirit coming in. And I'd like to also mention this again, that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not a force. It's not some kind of a mystical Eastern thing that, that nobody knows what it is and is it here or what is it going to do? And like, is, But it's a person. It's the person. It's the Spirit of God. It's a person. And when we think about the Spirit of God, we're thinking about a, the personhood of God. And this personhood of God, the Spirit, is knowable. You can know the Spirit of God. You can know Christ. Actually, in John 14, that's the whole office of the Holy Spirit, to teach us who Christ is, to exalt Jesus Christ. And so what happens at the, at the end of the move there, there is not some mystical force, but there is a person, and that's Jesus Christ. Because all of the idols have been broken down. When you and I are in a, shake, in a place of shaking in our life, all of our idols are going to be challenged. Everything that we run to for relaxation and release is going to be challenged. Meaning this, I may not, like for example, if someone goes to the bar and that's where they get their release, it could be that that bar is no longer a place that I can go to or I don't have money anymore to do that. Or it could be a relationship. Well, that relationship's no longer there. When God begins to use, begins to move in your life and in my life, those things are shaken and the idols come down. We realize that our idols can no longer bring the satisfaction and the joy and the peace that they brought before. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Because when your world begins to cave in, God's on the move. Does this sound like a different kind of a message? Does this sound kind of weird? Because when God moves, everything that we think is unmovable in my life, the idols in my life, the habits, the things that I could never change in my life, my cultural background, my family background, all of these fears in my life that I thought would never, ever change are shaken to the core. And there's no place for me to run to anymore. And what is, what is, what's the result? The result is the person of Christ. Revival 
But I'm going to talk about revival here for a second. Revival is not something that we're seeking after. It's in us. Do you know that? Jesus who rose from the dead, as we were singing there, that beautiful song at the end during communion, he walked into the room. Imagine that, John 21. I love that scene. He's risen from the dead. And that was the message that, the, that in Acts chapter 4, that was the message every Sunday. Every Sunday. What are we going to talk about this Sunday? Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, next Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead. Resurrection was the message that they heard every Sunday for the first 100 years of the new church. Revival is in us. And it's not something that you and I have to try to conjure up or something that you and I have to try to perform. It's there. And all we have to do is learn how to surrender to it and listen to it. Jesus, I love that in John chapter 11. I'm sorry for Amber's trying to keep up with me with the notes here. I'm just kind of going way off of, off, uh, way off here. But in John chapter 11, remember, Jesus shows up late, three days late to Mary and Martha's schedule, right? Remember that? Mary and Martha have a schedule for Jesus. Okay, Jesus, you're supposed to be here, and then you're supposed to be here, and then you're supposed to do this miracle. Oh, and, and Lazarus is sick. You, he, you need to show up. Okay, you, we'll be waiting for you at dinner for um, Jesus at, you know, 5 p.m. on Friday night, and then you can come, and then we'll feed you, and then you can raise Lazarus from the dead. No, Jesus doesn't show up. And what happens? He shows up three days late. Lazarus dies, and we know the story. Martha and Mary are just, Mary's depressed, and Martha is anxious. Just two, the two ways we respond to the, 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 the amazing plan of God in our life when we don't understand it. And Jesus says, if you understood that I am the resurrection, I am. It's not like we need to pray for something to happen. The prayer, the answer, the resurrection is in us. And this is where revival begins. I think as a pastor, my job, and I've said this, we said this at House Church. And by the way, we had an awesome House Church Thursday night. It was just such a beautiful time at, at Jeff and Marsha's home. As a pastor, I, my job is really to tell you who you are in Christ. I'm not here to tell you what to do. Because I think that when the Bible, when we understand the Bible speaking to us who we are in Christ, we're going to know what to do. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's going to lead us. We're going to know what to do. And I think today it's so easy to be in a Christian organization that's telling you, you've got to volunteer for this, you've got to do that, you've got to go over there. When there's no personal revelation, and so this brings us to the point of intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. And when we look at revival, when we look at the move of God, the shaking, when people come through these doors. You know, I don't know what's happening in your lives when you come through these doors, but I know that there's burdens. I know that there's things that happened Saturday night or that happened the week before. I know that there are questions in your mind. Maybe you've been a believer for 50 years and you're asking yourself some very big questions. That happens. When we come through those doors, when we meet together on Thursday night, when we're meeting together during the week, there is this hunger, there's this desire, because we are made for relationship. We are made for intimacy. And when we are in it, and when we see this happening, then there's a move of God. Let's look at Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and it said that they had everything in common. And that the number in verse 32 of those that believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that of anything that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And the great power of the apostles, and with great power of the apostles, were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. The grace of God, the great grace of God was upon them all. That means that this is a group of people 
that were living in something that they could never ever deserve, that they could never ever achieve, that they could never ever qualify for. That's the life that you and I have. That's the life that God has here for the body of Christ. And so they're in this, they're in this community of people. And somebody may say, well, the church needs to get back to that. We need to be like sharing everything and we need to be, okay, that is, this is, this goes beyond the material realm. And I want to look at this. Yes, that is part of it, but there's also something deeper in these verses that is everything in common. There is a sharing going on. There's a vulnerability that is making this community, the first church, an amazing community. And it's a, it's a sharing with everything in, in common. It's a vulnerability. It's deeply, it's being deeply seen, deeply known, and deeply loved. That's body life. That is what is happening here. These people are being deeply seen, or we could say discerned. They're being deeply loved. And they're being deeply healed. And when we look at this here, I think there's a great example in John chapter 1 of what we're talking about here with Jesus ministering to Nathaniel. How many of you have read John chapter 1 verse 47 when Jesus is talking to Nathaniel? Remember the story. Okay, it's a very interesting story. John chapter 1, Philip goes, calls Nathaniel, says to Nathaniel, hey Nathaniel, we have found Jesus. This is the Savior. This is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. Nathaniel and let's look at this case study here for a minute. Nathaniel, I believe, was kind of a cynical guy. I think he was analytical. I think by nature he was kind of a closed guy. I don't know what kind of things he suffered. He may have struggled with... And by the way, during the time of Jesus' time, we think that we have issues with mental illness today. It was way over the edge back then. There was demonic possession going on. There was like... Which is happening today as well. But when we look here at John chapter 1... Nathaniel kind of, he's kind of a jaded guy. I mean, I can't prove this, but just by his reaction to what Jesus says to him, I get this impression that Nathaniel here is kind of a skeptical guy. He sounds like somebody from Boston. <laughs> sounds like a Yankee. I don't know, I don't know, why, I know why I know that. But. And Jesus saw Nathaniel in verse 47 coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Okay? What's deceit? Deceit is the intention of evil. It's the intention. It is the... And so deceitfulness, you know, the sarcasm. Sarcasm, how many know what sarcasm is, right? Sarcasm in, in the Greek language, <laughs> I know what it is. Yeah, I know what it is very well. I have to be careful down here in Texas. Sometimes I'm sarcastic. People look at me like, oh, really? I'm just joking. Sarcasm in the Greek means this, to bite into flesh and tear it out. It's just like, it's like what a lion does with its prey. It means to bite and tear. It's from that word sark, or sarks, which is flesh. And it's a very kind of destructive humor. You ever been, someone ever been joking with you sarcastically? And Sarcasm comes from a jaded, cynical person. It, sarcasm is comes from a type of humor that's just been a person that's been disappointed, that's been hurt, that's actually kind of very bitter. And so I think that deceit is the, is the disposition of what a person lives when they've been severely disappointed and severely hurt, like Esau. And so here Nathaniel is like, he hears, he's, he's walking out. I think Philip's leading him up, you know, they're walking up the path to wherever they're going to meet Jesus. And Jesus, hey, there's an Israelite 
a true Israelite indeed, and in whom there's no deceit. And, and you know, I think that some of us that really love people, that really want to love on people, sometimes we say, we, we want to say something great about somebody, but that person, if they are struggling with certain things or certain mental struggles or struggling with a jaded sense of humor or have been severely disappointed in their life and are actually jaded and cynical, they're going to be like, hey, wait a minute, whoa. Okay, we see, we see Nathaniel's response here. It says here, Nathaniel said to him in verse 48, how do you know me? You ever hear someone say like, like do you want to build somebody up? And, like, hey, I think you're a great person. No, you don't. You don't even know me. What do you? And you're like, you're like, whoa. And they're just saying, no, you don't even know who I am. And actually, I would appreciate you not to assume things about me. You ever get that kind of? Oh, if you grew up in Boston, you get that kind of, kind of response. Nathaniel here is like, how do you know me? How do you know Jesus? Like, I mean, who are you? I mean, Nathaniel's not even a believer at this point, and Nathaniel's pushing back. He's pushing back against what Jesus is saying. And Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? And then Jesus answered him and said, guess what? And this is where we see the God of the previous that we talked about last week. That God is, pre- he's a previous God. He's a God that is, that is taking everything that's previous in our life that we think is a mess, that's a mistake, that's just error or whatever, and he's redeeming it into his beautiful plan. And he says, Jesus says to Nathaniel, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. You ever wonder about what, what's that all about? Under the fig tree, I saw you. And then there's no explanation there. Why? Because it was something between Jesus and Nathaniel. What is going on under the fig tree? I don't know what's going on under the fig tree, but Nathaniel knew. And actually that meant a lot to Nathaniel. Jesus had insight about Nathaniel. What was happening under that fig tree? Was it a positive thing, a beautiful thing? A lovely thing in Nathaniel's life, or was it something horrible that was going on underneath the fig tree? There are fig trees in your in my life that things happen under that nobody knows about, that nobody could ever identify with. And if you and I were to ever try to explain it to somebody, yeah, when I was in that situation in that fig tree, this happened to me, and you know something, nobody would ever be able to to counsel you and I about it. And Jesus says, I saw you there. I saw you. You didn't think I was there, but I was there saw you. And that word saw is a very deep word in the Greek. It means to know. It means to see and to know. It's like buying a car. If you're a car mechanic and you know lots about cars, you look at a car. I went to look at a car. I was thinking about buying a used car because my car is down in the garage and it's like they want a million dollars to fix it. Not a million, but almost. And I'm just thinking, I'll just get a used car. So I know Jeep Cherokees late 90s version of the, the square things, you know, those square you guys are looking at me like, you're old. <laughs> I just know it's an inline six engine. It's a great engine. I mean, the thing can haul. It'll four-wheel drive. It'll just drive. The body will fall off the engine before the engine dies. It's a great vehicle. So I'm looking at it. I'm in Tomball looking at it. And I, the guy doesn't even have to pop the hood. I'm, I, I know what's in that. I've seen it. I've ridden in it. I've driven in it. I've been in snow with it. I've been in floods with it. I know it's a great vehicle. And no, I'm not going to buy that because of just, I think it's too much money. And so I didn't buy it. Jesus looks at Nathaniel and he says, I built you, Nathaniel, and I know what's going on in your life. There are fig trees in our life that no one knows about. That's okay. No one's supposed to know about some things. Because it's it's a sacred thing between you and God. 
And that Jesus says, I saw you. I saw you. That is what you and I hunger for, isn't it? You and I hunger for relationships where, where someone could look into our life and say, I saw you before Philip called you. Before there was any kind of Christianity going on in your life, I saw that situation. I saw that. Nathaniel here is a man that's living with a lot of psychic noise. Now, what does psychic noise mean? I'm not talking about psychic in the sense of the house down the street on the side of the road where it says, I'll read your palm, psychic readings. I'm talking about that psychic actually is a Greek word that refers to soulish activity. And, you know, there's this, there, when a person lives in their environment and they are just not interpreting things from a spiritual point of view, you know what happens? That, the response of that is, is that we begin to live with a low hum inside of our soul. It's like the noise in the background. You ever been in a room where there's a fan, like there's a fan in the ceiling? I was with some musicians, my wife and I, Friday night, just for some spontaneous fellowship. He's trying to tune his guitar, and he's just a great musician. And he says, I, I can't tune it because the fan in the ceiling is bouncing the, the, the sound waves off of it and it's distorting the sound. And I can't. And so, like, he shuts the fan off, and then there's this, there's no hum. And it's like, have you ever been in an environment where there's this low hum, this noise, and then someone shuts it off, and then your soul rests? You're just like, oh, I even know, I don't even know what, or somebody's car alarm just going on for like four hours, and then someone shuts it off. This is what's happening in Nathaniel's soul. There's this psychic noise, there's this anxiety, there's this fear, guilt, and shame. There's this loneliness, and there's this thought. Nathaniel's thinking this, nobody really knows me. Nobody really knows me. This was David's confession in the midst of the congregation. Remember this? David said, I was in the midst of the congregation, and my foot was slipping. I was in the church. I was serving in the church. I was leader in the church. I was a worship leader. I was a pastor. I was this or that, and nobody knew it, but my life was slipping, and nobody really knows me. I just want to say that there's a part of us, and I'm going to get to the good news here in a second. And this, I'm sorry if this sounds a little psychological, but I want to bring home a point here about vulnerability and about how Christ knows us. There's a part of us that no one can know or even understand. There's a part of you that no one is ever going to be able to understand or know. We get married. We have, we have family relationships. They're going to know us much more than anybody else. But there's a part of us that no one can really truly understand. Only God can. And that part of us is like Nathaniel. It's under, the, it's under the fig tree. And that part of us, we can't expect somebody else to meet that need. Like when we get married or when we're in a friendship or when we're dating, I think that we try to sometimes bring out all of our stuff and like, man, I just am struggling with this. And then I think sometimes when we tell people stuff and they're just like, what? You know, it's like, I think I got to go. Nice to know you. Just don't call me ever again. You know, there's stuff that is about us that can never, ever be known by other people because they can never meet that need. Only Christ can. That's in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So there's this hunger for us to be known. G.K. Chesterton said this. It's a very odd statement, but when you, when you look at it from this perspective, every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for a God. What does that mean? When we go into sin, when we go into the world of, of, of pleasure, when we're going into things looking for that inner need to be met by the world, guess what's happening? We're knocking on the door of whatever that, the bar, the brothel, or whatever it is, the corporate office, we're knocking on that door. What are we looking for? We're looking for God. 
I mean, only God can meet that need. We're actually looking for God. And that door opens and we find out that that idol does not satisfy. The corporate world doesn't satisfy. The religious world doesn't satisfy. And when we knock on that door, we're actually looking for intimacy with God. We're looking, we're craving for someone to know us on the inside and that we would understand us. And this is what this is what um, this is what it is saying in the book of Psalms when David said the deep calls unto the deep. The deep calls unto the deep. You ever read that verse? Psalm 42, verses 7 through 12. The deep calls unto the deep at the noise of your water sports. How many have ever read that verse? What it means is, is that the depths of God, the deep things of God are calling out to the deep things of you. The deep things of you and I, those things that no one could ever know. And when we come to church, sometimes we're coming with our, we're coming with our treasure box. And, like, you know, I don't know these sisters that are here for the first time, but I just know that they're such treasures in the Lord. And, they, and you can come to church and you're opening your treasure box, but not everybody has the privilege to see everything in there because they, they haven't walked with you. You know, somebody that new comes into the church, you get to, I want to get to know their treasure, their walk with God. And when that box is opened, there's that treasure there. And this depths of God, like God, is, the depths of God are crying out to the depths of you and I. And the depths of you and I are crying out to God. And we don't even know it. We wake up in the morning. I woke up the other morning and I just woke up and I just was just, I don't know, I had this subjective anxiety. You ever do that? You wake up and you're just anxious. No, why am I anxious? I don't know why I'm anxious. And it's not something I struggle with really anymore. You just wake up and just, oh, dear Lord, I'm, I'm so, I just have this pressure on my chest. You know what I'm talking about? Nobody knows here in this room what that means, right? And just laying there, it's like, okay, you feel like, you know, you just feel, why am I anxious? You're kind of going through your mind. Okay, why am I, okay, did I, did I grieve the Holy Spirit or did I sin or what? And you're just going through your mind. And you don't know. That's what anxiety, anxiety is undefined fear. Fear is definable. Anxiety is not. Anxiety is just, anxiety is like this. Anxiety is like if you leave something in your refrigerator too long and, it, and, it, and you open the fridge and you don't know it's back there and you open it and there's this waft of a smell coming up. You're like, what is that? Where is that coming from? You're sniffing around the house or it's like a, it's like a trash, it's like trash that you left in the corner of your house that you forgot to take out and it's in the side room and you're like, what is that smell? And you're sniffing around and you don't know what it is. That's what anxiety is. It's, it's something that is in my soul that I have not allowed, that I have not allowed God to deal with through his cross and through, through the body of Christ. I'm going to get to that for a second. We desire intimacy. And I'm not talking intimacy between a man and a woman. We're talking about deeply known, deeply understood, and deeply loved. What happens today in churches, unfortunately, is what I call assumed, assumed intimacy. It's assumed. You know what I mean? Okay, so you're a young man. You want to get discipled. Um, Brother, I'm going to hook you up with Fred over here. I, I, I don't even know who Fred is. Fred, okay, Fred's over there. He's our discipleship guy. Okay, he's going to disciple you. Okay, I meet up with Fred. Fred sits down with me and he wants to know everything that's going on in my life. Fred, I don't even know you, brother. Like, you know, I'm sorry this sounds a little critical. How can I have any intimacy with a brother in the Lord that I have not walked with? That there's not any kind of body life. There's no brokenness there. I want to see in Fred's life, I want to see where... God has broken him and where, where the treasure is coming out of Fred's life. And that's where, where we can meet. I sat down with a pastor this week, pastor of a beautiful, it's a large church not far from here. He and I sat down. It's funny, you know, you look at mega church pastors and don't always assume the same thing about them. This, this guy, 
I just had such a sweet time of fellowship with him. And it was just so beautiful. We talked for two and a half hours. And, you know, I don't want to be a pastor of a mega church. I don't desire that. I mean, the, the pressures that they face, you know, that's not something I would want. I like the simplicity of something small and something simple. And we're sitting there, and there was intimacy there because he's walking with God, and he's broke. He's like, I haven't, Christian, I haven't figured this all out. I don't know what's going on. I mean, the work of God, and this was, this was his words, and I loved it. He just, he said this to me, and it just made me think. He said, the work of God is so frail. A church is so frail. Why? Because people are frail. And in six months, this could maybe not even exist. He was talking about his church of 4,000 people. I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, in four months, like he said, this, I mean, in six months, this, this, this may not be existing. I think it will be, I think, but it's such a frail work. Why? Because we're frail people, and we desire that intimacy. By the way, pray for pastors. Pray for pastors. Even if you don't agree with them, pray for them. Man, there's just, they're going out there. They're just, you know, they're getting up in the morning. I mean, they're putting their family on the line, and they're just going out there serving. Just pray for pastors, even if they're not from your own denomination. Okay, just pray for them. Why? Because, okay, do I agree with maybe everything? Do we agree with everything in another church? No, we don't. But what, what do we, we have Christ in us. And pray for them. Please pray for them. And, 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 just, and, and just don't judge people. And I, I say that because um, intimacy cannot be assumed. It cannot be delegated. You can't delegate someone to be discipled by somebody else. It needs to be organic. It needs to be authentic. And it needs to be, it needs to be God. And so when Paul said, I'm going to finish up here. When Paul said that I might know him to the measure that he knows me. You ever read that verse in, Proverbs, in, in, in Psalms? Sorry. Not Proverbs, not something. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. I have ADD, by the way, a little bit. When Paul said that I, that I might know him to the measure that he knows me. <laughs> when he says that, what's he saying? He's saying, I want to know God the way he knows me. I've been captured by Christ, but I want to know him how he's captured me. And what is that? That's the Christian life. When you, what is the will of God for your life? To know God. Hey, what are you doing for Jesus today? He did so much for you. What are you doing for him? I'm going to know him today. John 15. And that's going to be eternal life. And then as I know him, he's going to tell me where to, we never want to be, we never want to be questioning people what they're doing for God. We want to just, we want people to know God. And so I want to wrap it up with this, is that when we begin to hear the depths of God through the Holy Spirit, and I'm talking about an intimate relationship with you and God crying out to you and your spirit crying out. And it says in the noise of, of your water spouts, that's what King James says. And what that really means is, is that there's a storm going on right now and I'm being clobbered by waves. Have you ever been clobbered by a wave? Okay, so my wife and I were on vacation in Maui. And by the way, that's a free trip that my wife earns. But we, go, we went out there one time and there's a beach there. And it has this picture. It's kind of a comical picture, but it's a, and it's a yellow diamond picture. And on it is a picture of a big wave coming down on a stick guy, and then underneath him are all these rocks. And I looked at that, and it was just this little beach, very little beach, very small, like from here to that door. And it's just like kind of like up to those stairs. And I'm just thinking, you know, I'm just going to be here, you know. I think there's no waves here or whatever. And so I walk out there, and then, I mean, immediately these this wave. The only thing I could think of was the picture I just saw. A wave comes down right on top of me, and I'm going down on my back on the rocks. And these were like volcanic rocks because, you know, Hawaii is like, you know, volcanic. And I, I got cut up. I was like, man, now I understand that sign. 
And when we are under these storms, when we are under these storms, we're like, we're drowning and we're crying out to God. And God's crying out to us in the midst of the storm. Do you know that? In your storm, God's crying out to you. And he's saying, know me, trust me, like, Christi- like Christopher was saying earlier. Trust me, know me, hear me, walk with me, listen to me, get quiet, get quiet before. Quiet all of your religiosity. Quiet everything that you think you're supposed to be doing for God. And just get quiet with God and listen to God. Because insecurity and psychic noise, the low hum of fear, the low hum of guilt, that low hum of shame is just this nagging, annoying hum that makes us a disturbed soul. I'm going to finish with this. God takes us and he brings us. I love this verse. And this is a life verse for me. Okay, it's going to tell you probably a little bit more about me. Psalm 68, verse 6. He sets the lonely and he, he, he sets the lonely and puts them in families. You ever read that verse before? He takes the lonely and he puts them in a family. What family are we talking about here? The family of God, right? A local church, a body of people, a house church, a, a local body where we can... I don't know if you struggle. I think if you're, if you're a melancholic, I think if you're an artistic by nature, you probably are very gifted and very adept in what you do and what you can imagine and what you can express. And maybe you're not around people like that. Maybe you're married to someone like that. And you crave that kind of creativity and that whatever, that artistic, and maybe that's not in that mate. And you have to get that from God. God puts us in a family. He takes the lonely and puts them in a family. And then it says he leads the prisoners out with singing. Where does, where does healing come from? It comes within the body of Christ. When you and I are brought into a body of people where we can be vulnerable and we can be broken, and we're not going to be met with criticism, we're not going to be met with, hey, here's 10 steps for you to get over that, or, or like, you've got to go through this. It's when we are in the body of Christ where we can bear one another's burdens. I was, Ryan and I were talking in the back. And I just love Ryan, man. He's just, what a great brother he is. And I mean, he's just like, you know, like he's just got such a spirit of counsel. And, you know, just, and I'm just, you know, sharing with him. And it's good because we are in a place where we can pour out what's going on. And we can just, and you know, you don't need to say a lot of words, you know. Like you just, I think this is, and this is the beautiful thing about body life is that we don't need to say a lot. <laughs> You just need to say, I understand. And this is the key with women, by the way. The key with marriage, okay? We men want to fix it all, right? We're just, we're linear thinkers. We want to just, okay, this, this bolt goes in here. You screw in this direction. And then, and we're thinking in this. But that doesn't work in marriage. It doesn't work in dating. It doesn't work because it took me 26 years to learn this, guys. So please, if you're not married or if you're newly married or you're going to get married, please get this straight. It, we cannot fix, marriage is not about fixing my wife. Okay, and maybe some women think that way. Like, my wife knows a lot. She really has walked with God for many years. She's an amazing woman, and I still can't believe she said yes when I said, "Will you marry me?" And when something comes up, and she's like, you know, she has a much more emotional capacity than I do, and I have sometimes have zero compassion. You know, and she'll say, "Can you just turn on your compassion button, please?" You know, switch it on. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and so like, and so I'm. You know, and so and she'll be like, kind of like going through something. I'll be like, honey, okay. This is, man, you'll recognize the movements here. This is, let's walk through this, okay? 
Step one, step two, step three. I told you this 45 times eight years ago. Okay, it's like, that doesn't work. We, you know, the best thing to say is, is like, because my wife knows all of that. She probably knows it way better than I do because she's a smart woman. She's a godly woman. She just needs to hear, I understand. Mm-hmm. I understand. I, okay, honey, I can understand how that can be so crazy and so, so scary. And, like, and, and, and when we say that, when we have someone that comes into our life and, say, and it says, I understand and I love you, we're good. We're good. We're just okay. And then, then we shift into the right, the left side of our brain, of our brain, and we start thinking logically, and we're all good, right? Does that make sense? I think compassion and identification is really what is needed in counseling. He takes the lonely and puts them in families, and he leads the prisoners out with singing. I want to say one thing about fear. One thing about fear. Um, fear is not of God. Amen. It's not of God. God does not speak to us in the language of fear. God does not speak to us in the language of guilt and shame. Why are we, why are we so afraid of fear? Because of shame. Because shame leaves us uncovered. Shame tells us there's something wrong with me. Shame tells me that I'm not desirable. Or shame, shame is what we feel when we're standing in the rain and we've been, we've been embarrassed and we've been forsaken. Fear says this, if you do not cave into this, then you will be uncovered, you'll be embarrassed, and you'll be, and, and, and the thing that you fear will come upon you. Now, every one of us have had things happen in our childhood, even, or even prenatally, that, that in some way try to form us in the way we think. Fear is when fear comes on the door, knocks on, on the door of your heart and says, um, this is what you need to be afraid of. And so, so when we, when we say, okay, I'm going to do it, maybe it's something to do with my health or my financial situation. Okay, I'm afraid about my financial situation. That means I need to get four more jobs. I need to go work my heart out. I need to go work, 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 work. In America, you know, we are so all about jobs. And it's like, okay, I mean, is it really God's will? Well, we need to ask ourselves sometimes about our career. But anyway, fear knocks on the door of your heart. If you don't do this, you're going to be plagued. You're going to be. You're going to be. Um, you're going to be nagged, and you're going to be. You're going to be in shame. Fear puts on different kinds of masks, and it could be. It could be the fear of finances, financial failure, or it could be the fear of, of rejection, or whatever that looks like. And every time we give into that, like if I'm afraid of being rejected, then I'm going to be act, dress, be a certain way, so that I never experience that shame. Because it's all about shame. It's not about anything else. It's about shame. And the more we give into that, the more we buy into that, the more we become a prisoner to fear. Does that make sense? The more I give into alcohol because I need that buzz or whatever that is, then the more of a slave I am to alcohol. The more I give into whatever um, lust or pornography or, or this or that, the more a person gives into that, the more they become a slave to it. We need to say... Okay, we need to look at fear, pull back the mask, and see and see it's really the voice of the enemy of our soul. When we're in the body of Christ, guess what happens? We get set free from fear, and it's a process. We, be, we discover we're in an environment we were, where we are loved, where we are, where we are cherished, where people are going to reflect to you and I who we are in Christ and not who you are in the flesh. The flesh is basically the old, cre- it's the creation that the devil has created so that you and I would believe something that's not true about ourselves. 
in the body of Christ, and if you remember only one thing from this message, just remember this, in the body of Christ, loneliness, guilt, fear, shame is healed. And we begin to discover who we are in Christ. And that begins the road of healing from mental struggles. That begins the road of healing from anxiety. That begins to be the road of healing from whatever may be going on in our life. Because when we begin to discover the body of Christ, there is this there is this move of God that begins. Like, for example, my sister's walking with the Lord, and I'm walking with the Lord, and it's been a rough week, and we both decided to say yes to the cross of Jesus Christ and yes to resurrection, and she's going to have a treasure that I'm going to be blessed with, and I have a treasure that she's going to be blessed with, but that can only happen when there's vulnerability and when there is the ability for uh, mature a mature church. And that's what we crave. We crave intimacy. When you're under attack, don't withdraw. Don't withdraw. You know, when you're under the gun, draw near the body of Christ. Make a phone call. Get out there and get loved on by the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. So let's close in prayer.